0: welcome to your pharmacy career podcast proudly brought to you by raven's recruitment australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency the podcast series has been created to shine a light on the diverse and inspiring careers of australia's pharmacists Each episode will focus on the varied career opportunities within the pharmacy industry by exploring the career paths taken by leaders in the fields of community pharmacy, hospital, industry, government, and professional organisations. Careers never follow a defined path. Everyone's story is different and unique in their own way. The podcast series will help you discover the world of opportunities that exist and reveal pathways to achieve your dreams and aspirations. Whether you are a pharmacy student, early career pharmacist, or simply looking for a change at any stage of your career, the podcast series is designed to help you navigate ways into a career and a life that you love. Your host of the podcast series is Ali Sue. Ali, herself a pharmacist, is now the founder of Global Pharmacy Entrepreneurs and a passionate advocate for pharmacists to grow, innovate, excel, and make a lasting impact in the world. It's now over to our host, Ali Sue.
1: Hi, and welcome to Your Pharmacy Career Podcast. This is Ali Sue. Thank you for listening and sharing our last episode, where we learned from Regina Cowie, the National Healthcare Service Manager at Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, API. We gained great insights into her experiences, which included exploring the opportunities throughout Australian suburban, city, and remote settings, such as rural and remote support in Darwin, Northern Territory. If you want to know more about her experiences and how she became the National Healthcare Service Manager at one of Australia's leading healthcare and beauty companies, then make sure you listen to the last episode. March has been a month of celebrating the achievements of women internationally. As we approach the end of the month, let's not forget it is not just a day or month to celebrate and recognize women. It is an ongoing campaign to help women around the world to be heard, understood, empowered and supported. The Global UN Women theme for International Women's Day this year is Women in Leadership, Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World. It's a timely reminder of how important it is to celebrate women in pharmacy leadership roles. Today, we are very fortunate to have a great female leader in pharmacy, Pharmaceutical Society of Australia fellow Joyce McSwan, to join our show and share with us her journey as a pharmacy leader. Joyce is a multi-award-winning clinical consultant pharmacist and educator within the field of pain management. She is the clinical director of the Gold Coast Primary Health Network Turning Pain into Gain program and managing director of PainWise. Before we hear from Joyce, I want to wish you a safe and happy Easter holiday. Thank you so much for all your support in the past nine episodes. We're going to take a break for four weeks before we continue our journey sharing the stories of innovators and leaders in the Australian pharmacy industry. Please take time to listen and take notes from our past episodes to receive invaluable insights from our amazing guests. Without further ado, let's welcome Joyce.
2: Hi, Joyce. How are you today? Hi, everyone. Hi, Ali. Very well,
1: thanks. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so excited I get to talk to you, especially in this really special month. It's International Women's Month. And this year, the UN theme for International Women's Month is Women in Leadership, Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World. I think as a woman leader, you are in the pharmacy world and it's perfect time for us to have this discussion and learn about your journey, your pharmacy career journey. And we're here really to share with pharmacy students and early career pharmacists and pharmacists, how did you create your successful pharmacy career?
3: Yeah, first of all, thank you for having me. Very kind of you to kind of, you know, have me, especially in this very important month. My daughter, so happens to be born on the 8th of March, which is, yes, Happy I mean, Birthday to <laughs> National Women's Day itself. So that, I think, says a lot. So it's very exciting. Look, I think, to be really honest, out of just pure restlessness, I would say, I, <laughs> I was incredibly restless and I still am constantly restless as a clinician. You know, I probably, when I became a pharmacist, I never really saw myself as a pharmacist. I was a clinician. So I was kind of part of the clinical healthcare system. And I so happened to have expertise in the medication side of it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, and at the end of every day, I would sort of almost check in on whether I was being a patient advocate or not. Patient advocacy was always what I signed up in clinical work for. And I just knew that, okay, medication was just a a facilitator of that. So probably I was a patient advocate first. I was a clinician second. And then I was actually a pharmacist third. So that was kind of how I always saw myself or my, my ethos of practice. Yeah. And then basically purely out of restlessness, I saw some gaps. In the system, as I became more experienced as a pharmacist. And then I think, you know, as most restless people do, they try and find solutions. (laughs) And I basically started by, without truly, there was no platform to enable to help me to do what I wanted to do. And I'm obviously in the pain management space, but pharmacists were very, they weren't involved very much in a pain management space, but yet I could do so much because I could see opioids being such a problem and where were we going to go beyond that. So I started to build castles in my mind in terms of envisioning what it could look like if I was given a chance. So I think that's where it
1: started, yeah. Wow, you have touched on really, really important points. When we think from a clinician point of view perspective and patient care perspective, the world is our oyster. We can go out and create and find solutions to take care of people in the community.
3: Exactly. Yeah. So that was always my, always my check in in going: Have I advocated for you? Have I clinically, you know, behaved or or presented as a as a clinician would? And then have I used my craft, which is knowledge in medication, which a pharmacist does? Have I done that for you? But it's it's a third actually. It's not the first because by then holistic and it's been sort of the guiding principles of how I've always worked.
1: So can you take us back and tell us about your story? Where did you grow up and when and how did you decide to pursue a pharmacy career?
3: I think I always knew I was going to be in a medical career of some kind. From as young as I was, both my Parents are clinicians, so I was always involved in their conversation, overhearing the politics of healthcare and what have you. So I always knew I would be in healthcare somehow. My probably passion for patient care and probably to a certain slant on on pain management was pretty much from my mum. From as young as I was, probably. Three or four, my mother got very poor, got injured at work as a nurse. She was a nurse. She was very, you know, sort of um, laid down for ages, like all through my childhood. I was probably helping to care for her. You know, I'd come home from school and she would essentially not be able to, you know, get up and do things for us. So it was a very, you know, my sister and I were very independent from young. And I could see that despite her so called disabilities, she did recover definitely in her own way, never fully, but she coped so well. She coped so well and still ran a wonderful household, gave us all the opportunities. So I could see how well managed she was. So it was kind of that told me that even though you're sick or you've got illnesses or disabilities, whatever, it wasn't going to define her Plus, I think she had a bit of a personality that was never, you know, never lie down and die. So she was probably a very big influence on that. And then from there, I think I got involved in sort of a lot of workplaces, year 10, where you go to workplaces and you get exposed to different, you know, different areas. I was, you know, again, doing time with some of those services and, and got really inspired by some people in there. And I think that's why mentors... Is so important. Like as a student, you know, find a mentor. It doesn't have to be your immediate working partner or working person at work. Sometimes you just don't like the people you work with. But you know, find external mentors that will yeah, assist you through your journey. It doesn't have to be a pharmacist, it can be from outside, but yeah, find a find a mentor. Because I think mentoring is so helpful. And it's also helpful for mentors to give that of themselves. I've mentored many young. GPs, many young pharmacists, you know, many young clinicians and yeah, it's very rewarding.
1: Wow. So exactly how did you find these mentors? I think a lot of students, when I was a student, all I did was go into uni and study and how did you find mentors outside your your everyday life and how do you know which mentor is suitable for you? Yeah, I must say
3: in my In in my time, it was really hard. I was probably quite shy as well, (laughs) to be honest, believe it or not. (laughs) You wouldn't believe it now. But, you know, my early life in the industry, I was very shy, you know. And I, yeah, found it quite hard to find good mentors, to be really honest. So because I probably, I had, you know, one or two key ones, and that was all you really need and i it was through probably work and it was through a lot of, of observing you know observe watch watch and watching you know how people behave in the industry is really important and, and then you you tend to gravitate to people that you are maybe a bit more alike with, you know. So start with, you know, the fa- we'll start with the fact that you like them for a start. <laughs> and then, you know, whether it's something that, you know, inspires you. But I think mentors can come from, it doesn't all have to be within the career. It can be even outside the career, you know, might be even a lawyer, might be even a family friend. But do get a mentor, I think is really, really helpful for early career people because it gives you somewhere to go and debrief that sometimes isn't, you know, available in your family or even, and, and perspective. Different industries have different perspectives as well. So it's very helpful not to stick sometimes within the industry as well. So my two key mentors, one was financier, like a financial person from the accounting background, you know, and just how they they thought, how they talked and then another mentor was within the industry that I have and still have who was a colleague and, and we kind of, you know, kind of grew from there. And another mentor was actually a GP colleague of mine and we kind of co-mentored, co you know, at the time when we were needing each other. And sometimes just have, you know, the wall that you bounce with. You want to play ball, you've got to have a ball that you bounce with. And it's just having that bouncing ball.
1: Yeah. And I think it's great you're acting as our mentor right now, sharing your wisdom and your experience with us through this podcast. So thank
3: you. Yeah, and more than happy to, I mean, mentoring is part of, you know, just part of the giving back of the service. I don't think there needs to be, you know, you don't pay for a mentor, become bribe them. It's got to be very much from the heart. And, yeah, I love mentoring young career pharmacists. And I think in this, because I've also walked the journey of innovation, And Australia probably, I must say, my journey really doesn't teach someone how to innovate. What does innovation really look like? You know, what is it? What are the key ingredients? I think that's really important. And I've been, you know, obviously using a lot of my talent time opportunity as they come about to kind of share with people what even innovation means, because everyone can have a good idea, but good ideas don't just, you know, sort of pop out of a box. They require a specific, you know, implementation journey and that's not often taught. So I believe that we have a lot of good ideas in young people's minds and heads and, you know, and what I used to sit in my office to dream about, but then I think what I was able to do with a couple of good opportunities was to implement that. Now, at the time, nobody taught me how. So it was a lot of finding your way through. could have probably... Been faster had I had someone mentoring me, but that wasn't really available. I don't think it's really still available very much. You know, you kind of bit, bit by trial and error, and sometimes you give up.
1: Can you share with us a few points of how did you turn those ideas into the actual program or the things that we created so far?
3: Absolutely. And certainly, please stop me because this can turn into a day's conversation. <laughs> I've got to, a lot to say about innovation. The first thing, and I always reflect about this actually question that you ask. In fact, I have conversations with myself and I ask myself these questions. But the the first thing was to adjust how I defined work, how I actually defined work. That was very important because work and innovation is very different. And, you know, innovation is like a hobby (laughs) that you have to work on all the time. But then because it's usually a part of you and a part of your daily work, I had to stop thinking about working nine to five as, you know, if I was to be an innovator. I actually didn't know I was an innovator until about five years into the journey, <laughs> what I've become. And that was quite a hard question to ask. What is this now? What, what is this, you know, what have I done And so, first of all, you've got to adjust how, if you want to be an innovator, if you've got good ideas in your head that are just busting to get out, you've got to not worry about working nine to five. You have to, you know, you have to be working on it all the time. I think that's number one. That's number one. Because people who say they want to innovate and they've got great ideas and they're only able to dedicate nine to five, then it's going to be a very long time before they'll see that idea come to fruition. All right, so, so that's why I say you have to redefine work. So work may become hobby, maybe just you, you know. I, I often say to people, look, work is not what I do. My work is who I am. So when it's who you are, it's just a natural part of you, you know, so that you can work on it all the time and you don't have to be feel, feeling guilty that you're working. You're just doing who you are. And I think that's that's number one. How I started that, even when it was defined 9 to 5 for me back then, mm. what I did was because work was what I did and and, and and but I wanted, but it was actually more who I was mm. and because I enjoyed it so much, I would go to work. So to put it practically for your audience, like I would go to work and I would serve the patients and I would, you know, go through my clinical, advocate, you know, a patient advocacy clinician, hey, I'm a pharmacist so I would go through those three points just naturally, and then I would almost go, what else can I do a little bit above and beyond because it's not what I do Sure, it's what I got paid for from that nine to five, but then I want to be more than that because that that keeps me passionate you know so I in that in those days, I actually saw and identified. The gap that the pharmacy assistants were always quite unsupported, and so I created like a pharmacy assistant group. Uh, it was called the It was pag. It was called the pag group. I still remember it pag. I call them all pags. And so we had the pag group, and pag pag group meant that I gave them training. So I would I would give them spot training every time I had a, a chance. So if we had some downtime. I would go to even a young pharmacy assistant and I'll go, here, come to have a look at this section. What can you tell me about this section? So it was just part of my, you know, my giving back, my, you know, sort of that passion. And then they learned something. I felt good that I imparted knowledge and then they served the customers better or the patients better. So for me, I I sort of probably in my small way, I kind of started that innovation even within a nine-to-five role. And, of course, look, the bosses loved it. You know, there was initiative seen. I wasn't doing it for those reasons, but they, you know, my ranks went up, you know. So, and, again, it really wasn't for those reasons, but it's always noticed. So I learned very quickly that if I want to be an innovator, if I want to stand out, if I believe in what I'm doing, I would stop my nine-to-five mindset. Mm. And, yeah, while, you know, you need to sleep and do that, so it's nice to have boundaries, of course, but it doesn't mean that you can't optimise that time that you're there with innovation, you know, because I think we all have downtime at work, mm-hmm. you know. We all have downtime, you know. That sort of small chat time can be turned into innovation. Of course, you know, you've got to rest and make sure you self-care and all those things, and sometimes, You have to have a longer journey. Everyone's in a different part of their lives. You know, you have demands, your family demands. So, of course, you know, if you have a very specific passion that doesn't belong to pharmacy or is slightly outside of that, then you have to start, you know, between 9pm and 10pm. That's where you put that little space to work on your hobby ideas, you know. But that's, I think, where if you then get stuck, mentoring's really helpful then. Mm -hmm. To go, okay, I've got this grand plan idea, what What do I, how do I turn it into something, you know. I think yep. that mentoring can be very helpful to help you to hopefully put that idea into proper implementation or opportunity. But it is a hard work process, but you don't call it hard work because it's passion. So mm-hmm. it's enjoyable, you know, inspiring you know, it's it's sweating with inspiration.
1: <laughs> yeah. What's the best way to approach a mentor that you think really can really help you? So, Lily, so number one, if you find someone
3: that you think, oh, gee, I, I don't mind them, I like them, you know, I, I gravitate to what they're saying. Yeah, that rang a bell with me. I mean, start there. Got to start there, okay? If you hate everything you heard, then that's not the right mentor for you. But if you kind of went, oh, that really, then just simply approach them. And, you know, be brave. I could have been braver in my career, but be brave and sort of just contact them and just say, look, I I really noticed that or that really spoke to me, you know, I'd like to see if you can mentor me, you know, or if not, can I tell you what I'm doing and what I'm passionate about? Do you have any other people you can align me with? Because what happens is usually like will attract Mm. like. you know, people with a bit more... Forward in their career will usually have already networks where they really have got key people they gravitate to, mm. and it might not be them. But it may be, or they may not have the time, and that's okay too. But they may have other other people that they'll go. You know, from what you're telling me, that you're interested in. Hey, Joe, my friend, would be perfect. Let me connect you both. You know, mm. so it comes by that word of um, that word recommendation, I have always and go to because that's really useful. And honestly, anybody who's usually approached that way would never, I'd be very surprised if they ever said no,
2: you know. Mm.
3: And then if they did, well, they're not the right mentor and it's fine, you know. So and explore broadly, explore, mm. explore broadly. Be okay with exploring outside your own industry, you know, if that's what it takes. But a few other tips is look at their value. You know, listen to their value of what they're saying. You know, do their values align with your values? Mm. That's very helpful. You know, are their ethics similar to yours? You, you're not going to at all. It might take a couple of cups of coffee, but yeah, just also listen back. So it's not also about what you want to get, 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 but what you're also sort of able to give. And it's it's that sort of match. You know, trying to see if it's a one all match. And 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 just give it a go. Give it a go. You won't find the right one always first up, and that's okay. That is okay. And you may even have a few, and that's great too. Yeah.
1: We know that in your own work, you've created so many unique programs, innovations like Painwise Pharmacy Professional Service Program, and also the Persistent Pain Program, but Turn Pain into Gain Program, and more. So, what's your vision for your career? Well, I think I sat back and
3: analyzed is funny enough you to ask this question probably about two or three weeks ago because I've, you know, really looked at my career in the past and to be really honest, I will, because work is who I am and not what I do, for me personally, I have no intentions to retire ever. Ever, ever, ever. And (laughs) whole, mark me to this. So, I probably have still as much as health will give me, and that's where a lot of self care comes in, probably a good 30 years yet, you know. And I'm so excited by having 30 years yet. In fact, I was like, only 30? Oh my God. (laughs) Again, because I redefined work back ages ago. So, Yes, you've got to still, you know, do your bread and butter job and, and that's fine because some of you guys are definitely in that. But with um for me, with 30 years ahead, you know, I hope to I hope to open as many opportunities as possible. You know, I hope to look at where we can go with more health programs for pharmacy, properly evidence-based programs. I hope to support the industry with that because I think from all our learned experience, we've got probably a really good framework, you know. I hope to have more partners that obviously aligned with that in that area. I hope to hopefully, you know, look at other areas of healthcare, not just in pain. We've been doing some preparations in mental health work. I would love to help, you know, uh, young, young pharmacists, young career, bloom their own innovations. I think a lot of ideas are in people's heads, not yet, and I think they've got solutions which, me singly wooden you know so facilitating that would be great yeah so with yeah multi-project multi-stream wherever the journey wants to take us we'll we'll go you know yeah so I'm yeah quite excited
1: well I am so excited for the future anything is possible once we change in that mindset
3: yeah and you can start in the everyday life like some of you guys might be sitting there going oh very well and good you know you're kind of like not in the pharmacy, you're not, you don't know what I have to go through every day. I've just got the script looking at me and this looking mm-hmm. at me, you know, and then out goes the other side, you know. But I think even in that moment, you can be creative, you know, stick an extra little brochure in there that you wouldn't normally do, you know. Ask the patient, can I call you in a few days and, and you know, innovate that point, you know, <laughs> Because you normally wouldn't do it. If a doctor rang you and kind of gave you some good feedback or had some questions that, you know, you can say, hey, how about we meet for a coffee? Like I'd love to be curiously knowing what you're thinking and how I can support you more. Just just go a little bit above and beyond. And that is innovation in itself. It's a seed. It's a starting of the seed of it. And once you once you get a taste of it, Mm. more confidence grows. Mm. But gee, that was fabulous. Then you feel like you removed a couple of bricks. And then it just and that that confidence and, and it really starts here. Mm. It's here. No, no one, you don't gotta wait for it to come to you. It starts here. This is the only limiter. And it's so powerful. So powerful. So now any project, anything that comes, I'm like, yeah, sure, let's take a look. But know that the journey. It will be a journey and the end is usually different from the start. So you've got that. <laughs> mm-hmm. be okay with that. And, yeah, then it's just a discovery, you know, discovery journey. And, again, some, some of the members of the audience also, because, you know, money always comes back. And th- there are two commodities. <laughs> Actually, just quickly, these are the other two things you have to get through your own mindset. One is how you define work. Second is the, the trading commodities that you have, meaning we've got money as the trade. And the other major commodity is time. So those are your trading commodities. If you don't have money, trade time. Mm. Have time, <laughs> trade money. All right. They're the only two commodities. And if you can use those two well, nothing's impossible.
1: Wow. Wow. I'm sure all our audience wanted to sign off. I'm more than more than humbled if people were to ask me to do
3: that, more than humbled. I have a lot of time for, because I know I'm not going to be the solution for everything. I, I know, you know, some of us have, are not going to be solutions. I think the solutions lie out there. It's not, you know, we just have to facilitate that solutions and if we don't facilitate the solutions, how solutions are going to come, you know? and unfortunately reinventing the wheel or starting again from scratch you know the the oh you know you don't want 15 years on and go hey i now can tell you how to innovate you know <laughs> you, you kind of don't want to have someone to have to walk that journey because usually people give up mm. Usually people give up i've been very fortunate to have family behind me who understand my journey of collabor of of, of innovation so i'm not a singular product the my family, my children, my husband, we work as a team to allow me to do my innovations, so mm-hmm. i'm very fortunate about that as well, and that's that's also a key ingredient
2: mm-hmm. i mean
3: if there's truly if there's an expression of interest for me to run an innovation series, i'm more than happy to do that <laughs> there are there are truly some key ingredients, key ingredients that I feel in reflection are so necessary and that maybe are not well understood. And if it was understood, how many more solutions can we get from, you know, from the, the future people
1: that are to come? What's your vision for a future of pharmacy? What are some opportunities of growth you see in the pharmacy industry? Well, I think
3: pharmacy has truly proven itself in the last two years in Australia through our, you know, bushfires, through floods, natural disasters, through COVID, we have honestly stood there. And I can only, you know, really, really praise all my colleagues who have been out there, rain, hail, sunshine, you know, patiently copping, no doubt, abuse as well, being stressed. I've seen it. I've heard it firsthand. We have truly, I feel, as a community group of pharmacists um, and even obviously hospital pharmacists and industry pharmacists, but probably more so our community pharmacists have stood out because of the the circumstances of the times. But all of us, I think, are very grateful for how we have all stood out. And because of that, I feel that pharmacists um, have an incredibly bright future. We do have to make sure we are upskilled and that we're clinically capable. So we must continue to keep our clinical capabilities there, you know, so that our knowledge of things, whether it's COVID, whether it's, you know, migraine, whether anything new out there, whether it's cannabis, we've got to make sure that we are as scientifically informed as possible. Obviously, people like myself try to provide, you know, modules, education, so on to make your life easier so that you can, you know, you can, you can sort of have a concentrated dose in a short amount of time, given everyone's time poor. So obviously that's my responsibility in what I do. But that said, if we are capably sound and current, then I think we can help the health system a lot. As as I said, first being patient advocates, second being clinician within a healthcare system. And then, obviously, third, within our scope of being a pharmacist and the the medication work that we can do, so I, I think we're reasonably limitless within our scope. I mean, you know, I don't mean we want to be doctors; we don't. We don't want to be specialists; we're not. You know, but within our scope of primary care, which is still a high percentage of where pharmacists are employed, we can impact that. Hopefully, workplaces are there to facilitate that for us. That's, of course, always hard, you know. The the workplace has to appreciate that as well. But workplaces are also made of who? Pharmacists. Mm -hmm. So, again, if we've got pharmacists with the right mindset and grow that well so that even if you are corporate in a brand store, even if you are, you know, the pharmacist in charge in a brand store or a non-branded store, whatever, You've got that similar, you know, high quality clinical knowledge to start off with, and being able to, you know, lower all your shields and guards and be able to reach out to the the other allied health and GP networks. That's where I think we'll get our greatest strength. I believe that the government are very trusting of that. I can see through their fundings and you know, through their alliances with our different key state bodies, the Guild, the PSA, I'm, you know, hopeful that truly the the government do see our role, especially last two years, as being very critical in the healthcare system. So I don't think we, I think we've proven some of that, you know. I think the next step is to making sure that we live up to that Mm. clinically as a workforce, you know, that we don't get, and that's why I think mentoring is so important because we don't get cynical when we have good mentors. We know, you know, sometimes our workplaces may not allow us to do that. That's that's the mm-hmm. workplace. But at least have people outside of that to be able to adjust and counteract the negative sometimes voice that might come because if we all don't get our mindsets too affected, we can ride through, um, you know, and be clinically able and ready
1: to take on the roles that we can be. So we'll have to equip ourselves with clinical skills and continue education. Yeah, that is our key business. That is our core business.
3: A core differentiating business is our knowledge, right? It is, mm-hmm. it's what people crave for and it's an evidence-based knowledge, which I think many pharmacists do try very hard. Uh, they try to be very proactive. Time is, of course, a limiter, but that said, you know, Give yourself goals, smart goals, very simple. Bring it back down to, you know, you yourself. Get smart goals. Don't just be random in what happens, you know, oh, well, whatever the year brings, the year brings. No, be quite structured in that. And I think that's where mentors can help you. Mm. To, what's your goal for this year? What do you want to do at the end and then work with the end in mind? You know, having some structure is really important too, to, to also guide you to where you want to go.
1: Yeah, thank you. So. Another question is related to this, what other qualities and skill sets student or pharmacist can prepare to create a successful pharmacy career like yours? Of
3: course, there's there's two key areas. One is behavioural and one, the other is purely skill-based. So the two areas that you have to prepare yourself to excel, if you want to excel, you know, I mean, excelling is, humans are made to excel. You know, humans like to have Rewards. Our brain works on reward systems. We go to work for a reward. The better we're rewarded, the better we feel. You know, we feel more purposeful. So that's just how we're made. So having two areas, behavioral and clinical or, or skills is important. So behavioral, obviously, self-awareness, preparation of that, you know, being self-aware, being wanting to grow, that growth mindset, being able to be okay with constructive feedback, knowing how to process that in your own system, you know. So a lot of behavioural attitudes and mindset I think is a huge one to really, you know, pave a good way of of success. You look at lots of people who are of success and, and success can be in many ways. Success doesn't be, have to be in that's identified for yourself. You've got, to ident- you know, you've got to define your own success first of all. If no one else to define it. You've got to identify that and be okay with that. But, but most people who are so called excelling or successful or outcomes based got, got a mindset that they've either worked on or that they've developed. Yeah. And anything there can be developed. Doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter your history doesn't matter how many opportunities you had or didn't have, that is 100% able to be developed, right? So that's that's that part. Again, the other side is obviously clinical core skills, where you are in your scope, where you want to be. So if you're heading, and, and that's usually what you like. What are you passionate about? You can't stick at something. You get up in the morning and go, oh, not that again. You know, if you're not a hospital pharmacist and you don't like the hierarchy in there, then that's not going to be for you. No matter how much you want that to be, it may not, you know, it may not happen. Alternatively, if you don't like people <laughs> in, a, in a community busy pharmacy, then, oh, maybe that's, you know, you might be more researched. So wherever you feel you can get up and go to in the morning and get quite, you know, skipping your step head towards that direction. Even if you're not in that direction, it doesn't matter because generally a lot of us come out of uni, go to a community pharmacy to work or you find a job that you can get. It could have been in the the brand that you hate most (laughs) or you don't, you know, kind of agree with most and yet you've got to work there because of a job, right? That's okay. That's just where you start. That's not where you're going to end. But you've got to chart that course so you can see how to get out of there, you know. So that's where your clinical upskilling needs to happen to get you there. Whether it's a course, whether it's work experience, even doesn't have to be paid, you know, whether it's external, peripheral, volunteering, even, you know, or even it's starting to get mentors in that space. Mm. Ease you into that, perhaps, but have no build the skill that you need for where you want to be. That's really important. I think, and to with both of those in your little Train, yeah, you'll move forward very easily, very comfortably, very enjoyably. That's important. Got to enjoy it, and and I think one of the biggest things we don't do very well is to celebrate it. Mm. Celebrate it, no matter how small. Just even within yourself, just celebrate it. Doesn't have to be a big hoo ha. Doesn't have to be a major award. Just for yourself, make sure you celebrate that win because that keeps you going. That's actually how the human body works. So if you can work with your human body,
1: (laughs) then you'll stick it out Mm. you don't give up. Wow. can really see that play out. I think it's very important. Again, you mentioned having a mentor helping us to plan that ahead in the structured way to move forward. It's important. In a structured way.
3: It doesn't mean that the structure can't change. It's a very dynamic process. Like I said, the end may not look like how it started. Sometimes we think the start is how it's to look like, and we're rigid in going that's how it's supposed to look like, and that's all my vision is, but you know usually they're very much they're stepping stones, mm-hmm. but usually the end is better than how it started because you've got experience along the way and you've had mentors hopefully along the way that's you know that's helped to 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 shape that mm-hmm. and and be dynamic about it yeah. It's changeable. It's okay that it's changeable.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. Next question is, what would you do differently if you can restart your pharmacy career? Or was that one thing if you would like to change? Wow, (laughs) that's a good question.
3: I probably would have really liked to understand better and sooner the word value. So value, it's a very big word. And it's a critical word in everything that we do, I've come to realize. And it was only in the last three years that I actually understood that word well. And it came from a mentor who really helped me to understand what value meant, as in creating your own value, making sure what you did had value making sure that, you know, your collaborators understood your value and also patients got value. How does value really look like for patients? How does value look like in a community's pharmacy setting? I think that's a word that's not understood at all very well. And value isn't just about money. Value is about outcomes. It's about, you know, this add on. Everyone's talking about, you know, add on. Well, that's a value. But what does that mean for different people? So to me, in hindsight, I wished, uh, and I, you know, it's just part of the journey. But I think that if I knew that earlier, that would have been really helpful (laughs) for me. I struggled with that concept for a very long time and nobody taught that very well. You know, it may still sound very vague to some of you, even hearing me say it, but but value is is a very big word that you can't move forward with in 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 implementing much without understanding that word well, you know. And, and that comes back down, if you were to apply it, that comes back down to your even everyday work. You know, how are you valued? What are you gonna do to be better about? Is your boss seeing value in you as an employee? Is your patient seeing value in every interaction, which is what makes them come back? You know, because once you've understood all that and know how to optimise it, then suddenly your path and perception changes. So that's probably one thing I would have really liked to have learned earlier. Mm. Probably I'd say... That was one of the major thing. Another one may have been being probably less of a perfectionist. <laughs> I had this idea that to innovate, to create and to launch, that everything had to be super perfect and ready to go, that it was tested good enough that, you know, and in some cases, yeah, I, I suppose there is need for that. But equally, the concept of piloting ideas was something I was able to do, especially with the Persistent Pain Program work. And that told me that it's okay to start, even if things are not fully perfect, that you would learn along that journey if you only but started. You know, you you can't start with nothing. You've got to start with something. But, But it doesn't have to be amazing before you put it to a bit of a test. And then, you know, you can always test small and then grow with the test. So that was probably a very big, big lesson as well. But that was also probably a bit of personality, a bit of my own, maybe my own value system of myself, you know, but but my own calculation of mm. my own efforts as well. So it's okay that sometimes you don't have to be amazing and everything's perfect before you start.
2: Yeah. Mm, mm.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Next question is about International Women's Month. This year's theme is "Women in Leadership as a Pharmacist. Can you share with us your advice as a woman leader in the industry? Women
3: are leaders. We are usually in a household, you know, the chief executive officer of so many things already. You know, where immediately if you, you know, Get married, which some people do or don't, or be in a relationship. You're leading your partner, and vice versa. You know, if you're a mother, you lead your children. So I think in many, many essence, and even within a framework of a, a family, even if you're a daughter, you know, you'll have different areas of leading. You know, you could be the first born, and you're already leading your siblings. You know, and I think there's a we practice leadership all the time. We're just not always giving it that term. I think we naturally, by natural just being female, I think we have already lots of leadership qualities. So that's probably number one to acknowledge. I think being a I mean, I never planned to be a leader in the industry. I sort of just believed in what I did and I was restless enough to just pursue the passions of the gaps that I wanted to assist with, especially in the healthcare industry. You know, you tend to be people who gravitate to healthcare are probably quite empathetic people. You know, there's different visions in mind. So I think as a female leader, I'm very proud of that. But I'm also equally wanting to make sure that we're not putting that pressure on ourselves, that we necessarily always have to you know be at that upper shillong to lead we already are leading so number one let's get that one out the door you know whether your name appears in what journal or not doesn't mean anything you already lead and i think matriarchs in a family system you know your grandmothers they're all leaders so that's we're already leaders but in an industry in in workplaces we also need to know that we can't do everything and we can't expect ourselves to have it all there I think that is important to adjust. People may seem like they get it all or have it all, but usually they don't. Usually they don't. There's trade-offs, you know, they don't have it all because when you're at work, you're not with your family. That's not all, (laughs) you know, but maybe materialism, commercialism may have us think that, hey, we can have it all and that I think that's probably not true. We can't and it's okay that we don't have it all. If you choose to be a leader within your industry, there will be sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And trade-offs, they may be for short-term, maybe for the longer term. It doesn't matter. It's for everyone to choose what that journey looks like. What's important is we must be very good role models. I think where leadership really comes in and the real truth of leadership is that we must be really good and, and you know, hopefully in positive role models and that's what leadership is about. It's making sure that other people you influence are better than you is what I, I feel leadership is. Leadership is not about bossing people around. A leader is someone who makes sure that their team is better than them. That makes you a good leader because that's what you want to do. You want to be an optimizer of others. That's actually the true definition of leadership. And then you're facilitating You're just guiding, you know. That's what leadership is about. Mm -hmm. To me, I think women are natural leaders because we've done it for, for historical reasons. We're probably made that way and I think hopefully more and more if, you know, if there are opportunities and frameworks within a workplace that helps to cater for that, that will enable more female leaders. You know, because they understand purely that we've got family demands and we've got, you know, whatever other commitments, but yet, hey, she would be a really good leader. If a workplace can help to facilitate that, knowing that she can't do it all, that then that will give us good female role models. Mm. And then the cycle has to finish, it has to close the cycle. No point going to the top and staying there. You really, that's why I believe so much in mentoring. You have to give it back. uh, that just stays in, doesn't give it back, kind of, you know, reaches Everest and doesn't know how to come down. I mean, you can't, you're freezing Everest, you know. <laughs> you, you die up there. You've you got to be able to close the loop and give it back. Then you survive long time. And I think that's really the, again, the key. It's a cycle. Leadership is a cycle.
2: Mm.
3: Not to stay there and be there forever. It's to stay there, to give back and climb another mountain maybe a higher one, I don't know, maybe a lower one. Maybe you get to climb three mountains rather than one big one. But it's a cycle and it must come back and close that loop off because then we raise new leaders. And then that continues that momentum of um, ultimately why? To find solutions for problems.
2: Simple. Mm -hmm.
3: And the solution usually doesn't, doesn't lie with the guy who just reached Mount Everest. Right? Because we've got to help more people climb. So the guy's got up there, he's gone, I know which ones, which route to take. Let me show you so you can take the next climb. That's true leadership to me. And that's what I strive for. And yeah, yeah. And I think that's really the good one, measure for yourself, but measure for, for you watching someone else to be a leader, you know, to go, is are they really a leader? and yeah and 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 as women to, the other thing i think women leaders need to be very careful of and make sure they do is to self care mm. self care because sustainability if someone is so talented we want them around for a long time mm. we need them to go hey i've been in leadership now i need to take a little, little break before i come back to leadership again and that's okay you know or, or little breaks all day every day doesn't matter but they need to self care self care for themselves so they can continue to give sustainably.
2: Mm. So
3: I think those are my views on women and leadership and what that looks like. And I think everyone's a leader. If you're, you know, if everyone, if you want to be a leader, you can be a leader. Doesn't matter how small that is. We're leading our patients every day. We're leaders for our patients every day. That's why that self-advocacy defines that immediately for you. If you're an advocate, you're a leader. Done. So which I think, you know, if we sort of measure that against that, then we're already hopefully leading and then mainly now it's, it's, it's building on that.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joyce, for sharing your wisdom, your experience and your story with us. And we can't wait to, to follow you, follow your journey and hopefully reach out to you and learn more from you. So thank you. <laughs> thank you
0: so much. No worries. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Your Pharmacy Career podcast, proudly brought to you by Ravens Recruitment, Australia's leading specialist pharmacy recruitment agency. If you enjoyed this episode and know anyone else who you think would benefit from it, we would be grateful if you could share it with them. Together, we help even more pharmacists develop a career and life they love. If you have any questions or suggestions about future podcast episodes, please reach out to us via email. Info at ravensrecruitment.com.au.